This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, December 9th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include A rare outage reminds the internet how important Amazon Web Services can be. A simple mistake can lock you out of your Google account for as long as 48 hours. Mozilla retires a password manager. You may have even used it. We hear of a few reports of AirTags being used by criminals to track victims. And an email scam you almost have to admire. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast. Veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. You know, I wanted to listen to some of our older podcast episodes yesterday, and I had trouble doing it. What about you? Um, you know, that might have been because of a big outage that Amazon's AWS system had yesterday, which powers like half the Internet. Ah, that explains it. So our podcasts are hosted by Fireside, and I guess Fireside uses AWS for storage of the files that they serve. So that means that if anyone was trying to listen to our podcast episodes on the 7th of December, well, just try again. It's not our fault. Yeah. In fact, even Amazon was having difficulty, apparently, with some of their shipment tracking, and it led to a whole bunch of different problems. I know Ring had problems during the day because, of course, some of their stuff was hosted on AWS. I, I heard that uh, the Amazon Echo Voice Assistant um, was having some issues yesterday. A lot of things were, were going wrong, and not just in, in Amazon's ecosystem either. Most people don't realize how big Amazon Web Service AWS is. In fact, this is where Amazon makes most of their money from AWS. They don't make as much money from Amazon or other services. They developed AWS initially to have a backend for their own servers, and they got so good at it that they started leasing it out. And it's an interesting thing. You can you can rent a server for a certain amount of time. You don't have to commit or anything like that. It, I understand it's expensive. I don't rent servers, so I don't know. But you do have the flexibility to increase your capacity and memory at any time you need. So for a lot of um, companies, companies that, that have a varying amount of traffic, it's really practical. Right. Except for on the occasion when it goes down, like happened yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> well, it doesn't go down that often. Right. Um, speaking of going down, I had an interesting experience yesterday. I was on my iPhone and I was looking in the password section of the settings and it was saying, well, here's all these passwords that have been in data breaches. And one of the ones there was for my Google account. And I said, well, I've got two-factor authentication, so I'm not that worried, but I'm going to change it anyway. So I went through the thing. There's a, you tap a link to change on the website, and I had the iPhone put a strong password in, and I tapped OK, and then it changed the password, but it didn't save the strong password that it put in. Hmm. So I couldn't log in in a web browser or anything else. When you do this in the password settings, it displays a little window, which is it's called a Safari View Controller, when you see Safari inside an app. So I went in my web browser and I tapped on forgot password and Google said, okay, we're going to reset your password. We'll send you an email in 48 hours. That's a and long I was thinking, time well, to wait. <laughs> that's a very long time. What if I needed access to email or some other Google service in less than 48 hours? And I tried a couple of times and I went through the process and each time it's like, sorry, you got to wait 48 hours. 
And then I got to a point, now I set up a uh, security key for my Google account. Uh, I'll link to the article in the show notes that I wrote about using these different security keys, which are they're USB keys or they work with NFC or Bluetooth. And I set this up for my Google account and I got to a point where it was asking me if I wanted to use the security key. So I plugged it into my iMac and it let me in again. That's good. So the, the fact that the security key is a hardware device takes precedence over the rest. But what this means is that you can be locked out of your Google account for 48 hours if you just make a blunder. And in my case, it was a kind of dumb blunder. I should never have done this from the settings. I should have opened a, a, a Safari window, which I think would have been more reliable in saving the password. Yeah, so, the, uh, so there's a couple of takeaways, I think, there. One is be really careful when you're changing passwords. Make sure that it's saved um, before you uh, um, actually change that password. I've almost experienced something like that in the past where I, I almost didn't save something in my password manager, and uh, and I caught it right, right before I made that mistake. That's always been something that I'm concerned about ever since then, and so I always make sure that I hit that save button it's a little different depending on what password manager you're using, but there should be a place where you can hit save or, or and acknowledge that like it actually has been saved. You know, it's permanently now part of your password manager. Well, so I was doing this in the settings app on my iPhone. So the password manager was the iOS password manager. And what happened is I got two pop-ups at the same time. One of them that came up from the bottom of the screen asking me to save the password. And the one that was above, which I think was from the Google site, asking me if I wanted to continue. So I tapped the one on top first, and then the bottom one disappeared. And when you allow iOS to create a strong password, you can't select that password in the field to save it. So what you need to do is go to your password manager Create a new password, copy it, paste it in the fields, and make sure you've got a copy of it because it's just a little bit risky to know. I mean, most websites wouldn't lock you out for 48 hours. I'm actually surprised that Google would lock you out for 48 hours. My thought is that it's so common that people try to get into Google accounts. Now, maybe the fact that I do have a security key set up could have made the 48 hours instead of less, I don't know all the ramifications. Hmm. But in any case, I, I would suggest that the, the other important takeaway here is it is a good idea whenever you can to have a physical security key as one of your options um, to get into your account, because obviously that saved you in this case. Yeah. For Apple accounts, they don't use security keys, but one thing they do is they allow you to set up recovery contacts, people who can get codes for you to get back into your account. And I'll have an article on that very soon because as soon as iOS 15.2 comes out, they'll be introducing a feature for legacy contacts. So if you pass away, you want to give someone access to your data. They'll get access to your photos, your music, and your emails, et cetera, and you can set that up. So once 15.2 comes out, I'll be writing an article about these two recovery contacts and legacy contacts. Sounds good. I look forward to that. Okay. In other news that happened to me, I got a scary email the other day. It says, I am a hacker NSO group who has access to your operating system. I have to share bad news with you. Approximately a few months ago, I gained access to your devices, which you use for internet browsing. After that, I have started tracking your internet activities. And it goes on the sequence of events. But the kicker here is while gathering information about you, I have discovered that you are a member of a cyber criminal group, in parenthesis, bounty list. This is not a joke. 
Feds offer $10 million bounty for your information. Now, he's being polite. He's saying that he'll ignore it. He says, let's settle it this way. You transfer 50% of your fraud illegal money to me in Bitcoin equivalent. And once the transfer is received, I will delete all this data right away. Mm -hmm. Isn't that nice of him? Yeah, it sounds a little suspicious. I am a hacker NSO group. Yes. So the reason that this sort of email could make people think twice is that we've talked about NSO Group recently. We've talked about the Pegasus spyware. We've talked about how they've been blacklisted by the U.S. for importing and exporting technology. And on top of it, I'll have an article on the Intego Max Security blog, and I'll put a screenshot from a couple of paragraphs. Many of the characters are homoglyphs. So they look like other characters, like the H isn't an H. I believe it might be some sort of a Ukrainian character or something like that. The F has a little dot on it. The I has a small accent. The lowercase M is actually an uppercase. So they've made it so a spam filter can't really parse this, right? If you were to copy some of this text and then paste it into a text editor that doesn't support the high ASCII characters, you would just see gibberish. So it's really, it can be scary to some people. If you're the type of person who are afraid that you could be targeted by Pegasus and the NSO group, you might actually believe this. So here's the thing. There is a number for sending Bitcoin. There's a Bitcoin wallet number. And if you search this, I'll link in the show notes, there is something called Bitcoin Abuse Database, which lists a number of people starting on, let's see, starting in November, a number of people who've reported this Bitcoin address as scammy. Now, I'm assuming that the people who run Bitcoin have banned this address. Are there any people who run Bitcoin? No, <laughs> no, okay. there's not really any any one person who like runs all of Bitcoin. It's sort of right. A, That's the whole point of Bitcoin right, is decentralized. Right, right. So here you can at least find that this particular Bitcoin address has been reported as a scammer. Um, one of the first things I did when I saw there was a Bitcoin address was I looked up to see have there been any transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain because it's open, it's public, right? Anybody can check it out. And there haven't been any transactions um, to that particular Bitcoin address. And then right after I looked that up, that's when you found this uh, Bitcoin abuse database. And that's really interesting because my thought was, well, you know, maybe they sent you a one time Bitcoin address and they're not using it for anybody else. But that was really interesting to see that it's actually been in use for weeks now. And, you know, at least I think 18 different reports have been filed against this particular Bitcoin address. So, yeah, they've been using it pretty widely and haven't gotten a single person to send them any Bitcoin. So, <laughs> Well, that's good to know. I didn't know about the transactions list, but of course, that's part of the point of Bitcoin, that while you can't find out who's behind the address, you can find out all the transactions made to and from that address. Right, exactly. Okay, we have a story about air tags and car thefts. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember back in April when air tags came out, we wrote a number of articles about how air tags could be used. And one of the hypotheses that I mentioned in an article was if you're stalking someone, you brush up against someone and say you drop an air tag in a woman's purse, and well, you'll be able to find where she lives eventually when she gets home. So what's happening here is that car thieves are using AirTags, sticking them in cars to find out where the owners live. Yep, not 
terribly surprising that this is happening. I mean, we we all saw this coming, right? <laughs> Kirk was really one of the first investigative journalists to really think about where and how these air tags could be used. And um, Kirk has, has uh, several really good articles about this. One in which he uh, he wanted to track it as it um, as it went through the the postal service in the UK and a number of other things that he experimented with as well. And Apple actually reacted to this. Apple has reduced the amount of time before the AirTag gives you some sort of notification that it's been following you around, right? It's not really quite good enough yet, depending on exactly what circumstances you're you're using it in. If, if you have a nefarious purpose for this, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, of course, with an AirTag, although it can give you this sort of audible alert if it's been following you around for a while and it doesn't belong to you, if you're hiding it in a car, there are absolutely places where you can put it where you're not going to hear it and where it can still be tracked, though. Not to mention that if you kind of think you might hear something, you don't have any idea that this is an air tag and you need to go hunt for it, right? Well, I'll go even further. See, I read a lot of mysteries, so I can think of scenarios that would be practical. Let's say you've spotted someone who's got a Tesla, Mercedes, whatever car you want. You want to find where they live so at night you can come steal it. You magnetically stick the air tag under the car and they go home in the evening and at night you've found where they are. Well, then you just go into your iPhone and you just remove the AirTag from the Find My app and then it no longer belongs to anyone and it'll no longer send alerts. Right. Or if they park outside, it's even easier than that. You can just grab it as you're walking by their house, right? Well, if you're going to steal the car, you might as well go to steal the car and not just take the AirTag. Right, right. So th that is a good point. So it, we're we're making a distinction between figuring out where somebody lives and actually figuring out where they live so that you can steal their car from their house. Right. Now, you might want to figure out where someone lives to steal other things from their house. If they have a valuable car that you've seen, you're walking around town and you see a Lamborghini, you might want to know where the Lamborghini owner lives to look for other things. Right. And, and this there, so there was a headline um, just this past week that there have been a number of car thefts um, in Canada. The Canadian police have said that uh, that this is is becoming a problem where they're frequently seeing air tags being used. There have been five thefts that have been directly reported to the, uh, the Canadian police that have been linked to air tags so far. Now, five doesn't sound like a lot, but this is among the 2,000 vehicles stolen in a particular region that reported it. So that is a lot in percentage. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's it's another tactic. It's another thing that people can use to, to try to find out, you know, where they might be able to steal this car from. Uh, it's it's going to be pretty difficult to steal a car from, you know, somebody's workplace in a public place. So there's going to be a lot of people around. Apparently, some people have thought that it was clever to stick an air tag on it and find out where they live and maybe steal it from their home address, which probably has fewer people around. Okay, just before the break, you did a talk last week at the AVAR 2021 Virtual Security Conference attacking Apple, Mac malware, and zero-day threats in 2021. And you're going to have an article on the Intego Mac Security blog with the video that you created for the presentation because it was virtual. So you made a video, showed it to everyone, then answered questions. Right. I'll put this up on our, our YouTube channel. And I'll also link to a copy of the slides as well. So you can download those and, and follow along as you as you go through the presentation. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have some more news. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and Apple's latest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so we were talking about my email from I am a hacker NSO group who has access to your operating system. And in last week's episode, we talked about how a Polish prosecutor had been alerted by Apple that she may have been targeted by the Pegasus malware. We recently found out that Apple informed some U.S. State Department employees that their phones were targeted by Pegasus. And when we first talked about Apple's plan to alert people, we weren't sure how this was going to happen and whether we would hear about it. But we are hearing more about this now. So the first was the Polish, now it's State Department. We don't know how many others might have been alerted that we're not going to hear about. But Apple is clearly on the offensive here. Remember that Apple is suing NSO Group because of this spyware. According to Reuters, there were nine U.S. State Department employees that had their accounts hacked. Not too surprising. Again, I, I think we, we talked recently about if, if you work for a big company or if you work for a government agency, it probably makes sense that you would have your employees check out their phones and make sure that they haven't been targeted, that they haven't had this spyware on their devices. Um, and so um, it's it's good to see that more agencies and companies are, are testing their employees and executives especially. And again, as we mentioned recently, there, there are some free tools that you can use to find out whether your particular phone has been targeted by this spyware. And we'll, we'll have a link in the show notes again this week so you can uh, can download uh, iMazing is one of those programs uh, that, that you can use for free to find out whether your device um, has had the Pegasus spyware on it at some point. Okay, we have a story that's about two weeks old that we didn't cover before. Mozilla is ending support for Firefox Lockwise Password Manager in December. I had never heard of the Firefox Lockwise Password Manager. I thought it'd be interesting to let people know if they are using it, but does anyone use this? I mean, I, I don't think we've ever recommended that particular password manager, but I suppose that people who are really into Firefox, like that love that browser, probably have been using the Firefox Lockwise password manager. To be clear, th this is something that is a, a an app that you can get currently on both the Apple App Store as well as the Google Play Store. And that app is no longer going to be updated and supported by Mozilla, the company Company that makes Firefox. However, you, you're, you still will be able to save passwords 
in your browser, that's functionality that's existed a long time since well before this Lockwise app existed. So you can still use your Firefox browser as your password manager if that's the only browser you're using. Um, I wouldn't really recommend putting all your eggs in that basket, but uh, you could do that if you wanted to, I suppose. And also, you need your passwords in places other than your browser. You may be logging into an app, and it might be a little bit more difficult to copy and paste the password from a browser password manager. Right, exactly. And that's why generally we recommend that you use a, a trustworthy password manager that is cross-platform. You can use uh, Apple's iCloud keychain. Um, th there's a keychain app on the Mac, and you can also, in the settings app on iOS and iPadOS, of course, um, you can also see all of your, your iCloud's stored passwords on there as well. So if you use only Apple devices, or primarily Apple devices, you can get away with using Apple's relatively rudimentary password manager as well. Um, that's at least free. It's included with your devices and not something you have to pay an extra service fee for. If you want some additional functionality and features, um, then you know there are a lot of uh, good, reputable password managers that you can get. Um, so if you're looking for something to switch away from Firefox Lockwise, um, we, we have actually an article that we can link to. Uh, it's a little bit older. Um, we're looking to, to probably update that sometime soon, but it's got a few ideas on some password managers that are available cross-platform. And I'll also link to an article on the Intego Mac Security blog that I updated recently about iCloud Password because there have been some new features in iOS 15 and macOS Monterey. I, I just want to mention quickly, I, I forgot that there was a Firefox OS that you could buy a phone that runs a Firefox OS, that you could buy a TV with Firefox OS. Once upon a time. But it seems to be still available. Really? Yeah, firefoxosdevices.org. And you can see the various devices, which include a couple of tablets, a few TVs, a lot of phones. I don't know why anyone would buy that. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person who would love to see more mobile platforms. And I really like the Windows phone and, and the operating system that Microsoft had there. The problem is getting a critical mass in something like this. You've got to get the app developers to support your platform. And, and Microsoft wasn't able to do that. Now, speaking of critical mass and market share, Microsoft is trying to get more people to use its Edge browser, or it's trying to get people to not move away to Chrome. And this is a little bit tricky. So if you're in Windows and you're in Edge and you go to a download page for Google Chrome, you're going to get a little pop-up window at the top, and it's going to say Microsoft Edge runs on the same technology as Chrome with the added trust of Microsoft. Now, you're already in Edge, so they're injecting this pop-up into the web page of the Google Chrome download page. Now, if you search on Bing for a browser, for Firefox, or even for some not very well-known web browsers, it says there's no need to download a new web browser. Microsoft recommends using Microsoft Edge for a fast, secure, and modern web experience that can help save you time and money. Try now. It has a try now button. You're already in Edge. It wants you to try now because maybe you don't realize you're using Edge. So we were experimenting with this before we started recording the show. And um, we, we were trying every browser name that we could think of, right? So we tried Firefox. We tried Safari, Edge, 
Chrome, Vivaldi. And Opera as well. And Opera, yeah. And this is even on Mac. The pop-up that I mentioned earlier is on Windows when you're on the Chrome download page. So that's more invasive. I, I, I almost expect an ad in the search results, particularly Bing, but to get something when you're on a third-party website to get a pop-up warning you of, we don't want you to stray from the fold here. You stick with Edge. It's good. It's good. <laughs> right, right. One of the other pop-ups that you might see if, uh, if you're on Windows and you go to the Chrome download page, the other alternative version of that pop-up message is, that browser is so 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's new? Microsoft Edge. And then the button is, come to the future, which is really funny because in the screenshot, they're actually using using Microsoft Edge to go to the Chrome download page and then the button still says come to the future to like stay on Edge like that's a little bit confusing but so my thought is that they're assuming that people just don't know which browser they're using that to them the browser is the browser right it's it's particularly in Windows the way Windows makes the browser the center of a lot of things. Interestingly, I didn't realize that Chrome was that old. It came out in 2008, the first version of it. But Microsoft is almost suggesting that Chrome hasn't had any updates since 2008. It's evolved a great deal since it was launched. The, the really amusing thing here is that, of course, Microsoft Edge is now using the Chromium engine. So it's really got Chrome underneath. It's just taking out the the Google phone home stuff, but it's really Google's technology. So it's like, really? They're going to say that browser so 2008 because you're the exact same browser, but with a Microsoft skin. Well, is it fair to say that? First of all, it's not Google technology. It's open source, right? Sure. Otherwise, Microsoft couldn't be using it. And second of all, the browser is not just the rendering engine. It's all the rest. It's all of your options for displaying, for using extensions or add-ons or whatever, the way you store your bookmarks and passwords. There's a lot more to a browser than just that rendering engine. Yeah. You know, I, there are a couple of, of technologies, of course, that Microsoft has added on to their version um, but I, I just I feel like that's kind of disingenuous to say the browser is so 2008. I, I think what they're really getting at is using Google Chrome, that browser is, you know, they're, they're talking more about the branding, like the brand Google Chrome is so 2008. You should be on edge because we've got all the same technologies, but we're better because we're Microsoft. Well, also, Microsoft Edge is a lot more recent. The initial release was 2015, which is only seven years later. They changed to the Chromium engine after a while. So it is more modern overall, but it's just disingenuous. It's kind of you go to another website and your browser's trying to trick you into not downloading something. That's just cheap. Well, we'll, we'll link in the show notes to, uh, to where you can see this, these screenshots, because honestly, I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> okay. Well... On that note, Josh, we'll be back next week with more news. Until then, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>